0: We do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are.
1: <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Morgan Zegers. I'm really glad you're joining us again today. Um, got great feedback on the Q and A, and so we're doing another Q and A. To be honest, when I'm when I'm recording on a Sunday night, like I am now, again, I usually go to church in the morning, do errands, grocery stuff like that, and then I kind of sit down and I. Sunday vibes to me is, is talking more about the higher level values, lifestyle, culture kind of stuff and its relation to politics. And so I think the Q and a really fits in. So if you guys have questions, you can DM them to me on Instagram and that's really how I've been fielding them all. Um, or I'll do little submission boxes from time to time and then collect them. But I'm really glad that you're joining us. I had a great time at church today. Just got back. I'm filming this pretty late again because I had a Sunday evening event. I just got back from Turning Point USA Action. So Turning Point Actions, um, I think it was called mm, something, Unite and something, and I'm forgetting the name already, but they had a campaign event because Turning Point Action is the sister political arm of Turning Point USA. And there was Blake Mass. Well, first of all, there's the guy who's running for Speaker of the House of Arizona. In the state government, he spoke. We had a major state senator that's leading on election integrity in Arizona speak. We had Charlie speak. Blake Masters then spoke. He just won the primary to run in the general for Senate of Arizona, or not of Arizona, but for Senate in the U.S. Senate. So that'll be really cool. I I think he's going to win. And then we had Carrie Lake, who just won her primary, and she's now going into the general against a radical woke Democrat, a very, very aggressively radical woke Democrat um, to be governor of Arizona. And now, finally, Ron DeSantis spoke after Carrie Lake. So that was a really special treat. It was very nice. If you guys know me, you know that I love state power. I love the fact that we're a constitutional republic. And Ron DeSantis even mentioned that in his speech. That's what I do at Turning Point. I break down all the Federalist papers and the Anti-Federalist papers, usually with my lovely co-host, Connor Clegg. Um, But let's get into the questions, you guys. Okay, Rob said, how many acres would you want for your future homestead? Um, Okay, so you could technically homestead on quite a little tiny bit of property. You could do it on an acre. Ideally, if you were wanting to keep it small, do like a five-acre thing at least. And then, to be honest, I want as much land as I could possibly get in the future. And so the, the question is like, well what's attainable maybe as the first step, then maybe I would look for like a five to 10 to 15 acre plot, um, depending on location and depending on what's surrounding you. That's one of the big points too, is, is who are your neighbors? Can you see neighbors? (laughs) How far are you from civilization? Um, and then in the big picture, I imagine myself being, uh, in my later years on a massive property. So that's a little vision of mine. Randy. Another homestead question. On your future homestead, what will be the first animal you bring home to raise? Um, I would definitely start with chickens because it's practical and it's great to have that quick, easy access to protein. So that's why I would do chickens. I know that people say that they're dirty and you have to clean them up and stuff, but I think it's worth it if I'm actually moving forward into that. I would definitely get myself a horse I definitely want my family to be horse oriented, especially my kids from a young age that they're very comfortable from the start and then, um, bees. So I would kind of start with those. And to be honest, goats really freak me out. I see the devil. I see the devil. I can't, I can't get into it. I know that it's a practical thing to have on a homestead, but I'm working on it. Okay. Um, so that's a maybe one day, maybe a milk cow, you guys, but a milk cow needs to be milked constantly. And so until I have uh, a, a less crazy schedule, then we will not be getting a milk cow. Maybe that's a, a future Morgan thing, but if you follow Ballerina Farm, you can literally watch her milk her cow every morning, every night. The kids have shifts and everything. So it's a big family commitment <laughs> unless you have a, a farm hand. Um, okay, the bearded one said, do you make good money off of your freedom flags? Would like to do something similar with my boys. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, what do you consider good money is really the question. So for me, I started it to pay off my student loans. We started by actually just making them for fun. My dad and I, we made one. It looked super cool. We ended up donating it to a local VFW fundraiser for one of our friends at the post because I was in the ladies auxiliary in my hometown. My dad was in the post because he served in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And one of our friends who was a leader in the post had cancer. He still has cancer. Um, I just saw him a couple of A couple weeks ago, actually, when I went into Stewart's. But um, I saw him, and he's had cancer for a long time now from Agent Orange that he was exposed to in Vietnam. A lot of our Vietnam veterans have cancer because they were exposed to that chemical. And um, it's very, very frustrating to see what happens with our veterans. Speaking of which, if if you guys are interested in organizations that help with this kind of stuff and to toxic exposures that our veterans face, especially the burn pits and stuff, look up Hunter Seven. Hunter 7 Foundation is a really great organization, and it's not an ad or anything. I just enjoy them very much, and and they've become good friends of mine at this point. But we donated our first flags to fundraisers like that, and then eventually I I was like 20, 21. I was younger and in college, and so people had asked me if they could buy one. My dad and I were like, let's file for an LLC, and then we started selling them to literally just community people, local community people over time with local community sales, it really did expand. And so I remember I was doing, I was doing like maybe five orders a week and I would spend hours in the workshop. I would carve the stars by hand with a Dremel and it would take hours to do the stars, 50 stars by hand. And so I remember the, (laughs) a local fire department asked me if I could do like 30 mini 24-inch flags. And you guys, that was a I could not even comprehend an order like that at the pace that I was working at at the time. And so I looked at the numbers and I could afford with the savings that I had from the flags and the fact that I was trying to pay off my student loans, I could order a CNC machine. So that was my big purchase first off, because first of all, consider this, I'm operating with like random donated, (laughs) donated workshop supplies like that were either my dad's old stuff or my brother, who is uh, really good at all of this awesome woodworking and he's great with building he had all these tools and he lended some so it was a little hodgepodge at first but now we're bougie okay but the first purchase big purchase was me buying a cnc machine and that was like two grand at the time um but now we have a fancier cnc machine and it's really expanded to me to be honest it it wasn't because i started marketing nationally it's because i started doing politics and the website for the flags was still up (laughs) So it's not really a very graceful story, but yeah, I I used to make them community-wise. And then it kind of tinkered off after I finished paying off my student loans. And my dad and I just still had the workshop where we would do some orders from here and there. Um, But it wasn't any big business ambition. And then when I joined politics and I would go on like Newsmax or whatever, people searched my name and then the website would come up and then they ordered. And then the problem is, oh my gosh, we only had local deliveries really and so there was technically a shipping situation set up on the website but people ordered that for I think it was like the first week of my news hits people started ordering flags to like Colorado and California and stuff and my dad and I were looking at the shipping costs going oh my gosh because imagine a three foot uh, by 19 inch wooden flag the kind of box that needs and then the weight of it and the awkward shape of it, it makes it a very expensive thing to ship. So now we actually eat the cost. (laughs) We eat the cost and then, um, offer free shipping with code freedom. But if you're thinking about it for starting it with a family, I personally just love it. My dad will probably tell you the same. It's not to make money. We just really love doing it. And yes, money does come in and it's actually a pretty good business in that sense. But if you think about it, it's me, my mom, my dad, all hanging out in the workshop, just doing fun projects. My dad personally loves the custom work, if, if you and your son like to do that kind of stuff. But I definitely see myself, even if Zegger's Freedom Flags kind of uh, takes a break or whatever during the next few years, I see myself with my kids one day starting up the workshop again and then running them through making a little business of it. And so they can have their own accounts and they can be in charge of making certain flags and then they can keep track of the expenses. They can watch the prices of wood, the prices of the paint, the prices of all the materials. They can make little Excel sheets. They can understand what they need to sell it for to make people want to buy it versus, oh, if you price it too high. They're not going to want to buy it. If your price is too low, you're not making much money. And so I do see this as being a fun future process for me and my kids. So uh, I definitely recommend it if you're hoping to do the same because it's literally been a plan of mine for quite some time. It's such a fun story. And I actually was looking back on um, on Instagram. I got a notice this spring from when my dad and I first did our, our freedom flag. And it was when he, we went to Home Depot and he's like, let's do a project. And so we're in the wood section. And I posted it on my Instagram story that my dad and I were working on a secret new project. <laughs> and it, it was actually the first little freedom flag. We were getting the wood for it. So um, well, who who asked that? Oh, the bearded one. So the bearded one, I hope that you enjoy if you do something similar with your boys. It's been really fun with my dad and my mom. Alex asked why is male masculinity at an all-time low oh my gosh um well it's a few reasons I would say Alex it's it's not just one thing you know most things in politics and the combination of culture and politics are quite convoluted right and multifaceted I would say first of all um we don't raise not only young men, but young women. We don't raise boys and girls to understand and really get excited to take on the responsibilities that come with becoming a young woman and then a woman and then becoming a man or a young man and then a man and I think that really um, strips us of something that's empowering to human beings when you act like boys and girls are the same and when you just raise them up and put them through this little public school machine and you don't talk to them about what their their value is in the, the grand scheme of life like a woman you literally grow a human being inside of you but now I, I was just looking a couple days ago and I'm looking at a viral college lecture PowerPoint that got a, a picture taken of it. And now it's viral on the Internet because it talks about how there's similarities between cancer and the growth of it in someone's body and a fetus, uh, a baby. And to see that kind of comparison is so sad. That's the kind of messaging. So I I wish that we could empower girls to be excited about the phase of becoming a young woman and then becoming a woman and taking on and growing that next phase or that next generation of human beings. And of our society. And then same thing with young men and boys, we should empower them and get them excited about the fact of like, listen, one day you're going to be the leader of your household. One day you are going to have children. One day you're going to lead your own family and you are going to, together with your own family unit, make society even better than it is right now. And we're all going to improve the area and and the people around us. So. When you talk and communicate to the two sexes in unique, specific ways, I think that that's very beneficial, specifically with young men and boys, because men need to be leading. I, I'm I'm biblical with this, and I believe it's very beneficial to society when men lead and women allow them that opportunity to be the leaders and. No, I'm not saying that men are much better than us or anything. Please do not freak out, okay? Let me, let me finish this one. I think it is very important that we have strong, leading, masculine men. I think society is suffering right now because we lack those uh, a lot. And I was actually at the Turning Point event today, and one of the people that I know through it came up to me, I think when Carrie Lake was speaking or she was just getting on, And he was asking me what my personal thought was as a young woman. He literally asked me this question of, of why, what is it like to experience the lack of masculinity in society with dating or or with anything? And I had the same kind of answer for him of, to be honest, and actually, you guys, I said to him that I don't like to just blame men. I don't like to look at guys, especially the dating field. I don't like to look at everything in our culture these days and just blame men for being weak. The politics of men are weak and they aren't leading anymore. All this stuff. I don't like to just blame them because I think especially with with culture and with dating and a lot of the problems we're facing, it's also women. You know, we've also got to improve ourselves and we have to become assets for the future nuclear family unit that we would hope to join one day in that future partnership and marriage that we would join But what I found interesting was that in his response to me when I said this and said, oh, well, you know, I don't want to just blame men. I think women are also pretty problematic uh, with what we're dealing with today. He said, even if women are problematic, it's still not okay because oftentimes women are driven crazy by the behavior of men. And a lot of the problems we face with culture and the policies of America, the need for welfare, all of this stuff is because men failed to be men. And so it's really inexcusable and they cannot just blame the lack of quality women because he, first of all said that there's good quality women out there. And then he said, it's really part of the masculine aura to step into a role of leadership and seize an opportunity in that instead of finding an excuse. And so, Hey, I mean, he's the one who said it, not me, but I agree. Uh, Jonathan, what do you want your professional life to look like in 20 years from now? Um, hopefully I have a great big family. That would be a blessing I see my professional life as being focused in some way connected with my community and with the education of children. And so I I personally believe we can do as much as we want in all the elections. We can change as much as we want in politics as usual, but nothing will truly change in our country until we stop indoctrinating generation after generation and we fix how we educate them. I think one of my favorite takes of the last week, I saw someone talk about how, I can't remember who but they talked about how you know homeschooling is not an experiment public school and the public school system that we have is truly the the human social experiment and it's failing i mean you guys have seen the viral videos of people on the streets of New York city or on the streets, uh, uh, like the boardwalks of beaches where they're asked random questions and they can't even tell you that our, our world has seven continents on it. They, they tell you that America was founded in the, the 1900s. They can't name our president. They have no idea how many States are in the union. They don't know what the stars on the flag stand for. It's a shame. And that hearing that approach of, Oh, public school in America really is a social experiment. And for centuries, thousands of years, it was really more focused on your community educating you, your family educating you, your parents educating you and bringing you up and making you into a contributing member of society. And part of that was the academics. and A whole other part of that though was skills and kind of like street smarts, but the the good citizen street smarts, if you know what I mean. And so I, that was such a great, healthy approach to it. And that is so on the nose for what I believe we need to be fixing in education. And if I could be a part of that in some way, I would consider that so fulfilling and I could dedicate my whole life to it. So that's really the path that I would like to put myself on. And I've even talked about this before. I plan on homeschooling my kids. And then if I feel like I have really, got a knack for that. And if I've created a strong system, then I would love to expand that, you know, homeschool pod concept into something that includes other people's kids and, and the other children in my community and, and see where it goes from there. So I get really excited about that, but education and children and changing how we raise up good human beings in our country to keep this Republic is, uh, just sounds wonderful. I could dedicate my life to it. Ryan, if you could start college today, What would you pick as your major? (laughs) Um, So I'm very upfront about this. For the most part, I think that college is a scam. I'm not going to go on a rant about that, but I will be honest. If you want to go to college and if you are in college already, I want you to really question what your major is. I want you to question what are you trying to achieve and what skills do you need to achieve it? There are some careers where, yes, you need certain degrees to even get the job in the first place. But here's a good example. I get so many people that tell me they are going to college to major in political science. And they say they want to get into politics like I'm in politics. And they they want some advice on what they could do to get into politics like I am. And, you know, they're in college right now doing political science and all this stuff. And I just want to be very upfront with you. And this works in pretty much every industry. If you study political science, you are going to go to college and pay for most likely left leaning professors, because for the most part they are. You're going to pay for people that have other political views than you, teach you about politics and teach you about economics and teach you about policy and teach you about history and teach you about civics. But why do you need to have to pay someone to teach you these things? Why do you need to put yourself through political science classes and graduate with a political science major when you could just buy Democracy in America, the Federalist Papers, the U.S. Constitution, the Prince, I Could Go On, the Road to Serfdom, the Law? Every single book that you need to read to understand human behavior And human politics and economics and the world that we live in, the politics we are in today, is available to you. And you could buy every single book. Don't tell me it's too expensive. You could buy every single book for a fraction of the cost of one semester of college. I mean, geez, most of them are available online now thanks to like groups like FEE. Groups like FEE. Freedom, Foundation for Economic Free, yeah, I'm getting that wrong, Foundation for Economic Education, sorry, Fee, I love you guys, Um, they have PDFs on their website of all the classics, The Law, The Road to Serfdom, I believe, as well, you guys, I buy books every week just to collect them for my library, and plenty of people make them available, you should not be paying to have a professor talk to you about politics. If you want to work in politics, so again, this is an example of just the political industry, but consider this for all industries that are applicable to this. If you want to work in politics, you need to read political books and history books and economic books on the side as a regular human. Everybody should, to be honest. But if you want to work in politics, you need to say, What job do I want to do in politics? Because you need to get a job. Do you want to make videos in politics? Do you want to be in media? Do you want to be behind the camera, for example? If you want to be behind the camera, then you should take editing classes. You should take videography classes, camera classes, graphic design classes, editing classes, photography classes, technology classes, software classes, and become so skilled that you could produce anything. You could create, you can build something because you have skill and you are a desirable person to hire, or you could make your own things. If you want to be in front of the camera, maybe, yeah, take some some communication classes. And Maybe if you want to get some expertise in terms of public speaking and stuff, but you don't even need that. That's all available online, you guys. If you want to be in front of the camera making content, what do you actually need to do that? Okay, you, you've got to understand how the communication world works. And so media, um, perhaps take a few media classes, but again, you should be taking photography classes, videography classes, graphic design classes, editing, because this is all about creating content. You need to be reading political books, no matter what, on the side to become smarter and more aware of everything around you and become a better commentator. But that doesn't mean you should study political science. You need to get skills. If you want to be a a legislative staffer, there's different skills that are needed for that. But do you see what I mean where just going to get a political science degree is kind of useless because you could literally get the value of that degree in your off time. It's the same thing for me with gen eds and college. This is part of why I think it's such a scam. When I went to American, I was the last year of students that they were allowing to take high school classes that could qualify as college classes. And um, they did it because people were starting to realize, like, wait, if I take enough high school classes in high school that count as college credits and then transfer them, I don't have to waste my time in poetry classes or painting art classes when I'm in college paying $1,400 per credit hour for usually three to four hour uh, credit hour classes. Do you see how that really adds up? And so then your time in college can be really spent taking classes for things that you need to learn by the experts, by the professors. That's a whole point, right? And so for me, I, one of my gen eds required was I take a drawing or a painting or a clay class or whatever. And I took a painting class for $1,400 per credit. It was a four credit class. Can you believe that? And so I had to learn the basics of painting for thousands of dollars because the school wanted me to be a well-rounded student before I graduated with a communications law, economics, and government degree. I think it is BS. Because, guys, I love painting. But I don't want to do it in a college classroom structure style to begin with. Painting is supposed to be fun. And you could literally pay $100 for a very fun, very nice outside human adult painting class, not set up under the college structure, and you could save thousands of dollars but still have a blast painting. Do you catch my drift? So, so much of it is a scam. I hope the poli example gives you guys a, an understanding of where I'm coming from on this, but another good example is something like this. I, I know someone who, they wanted to be an artist, Let's do this example. They wanted to be an artist. And so they decided to make a very good decision. When they realized, oh wait, I should switch my major from art to business. Because guys, <laughs> what are you going to be an artist and then what are you going to do with your art? What's the whole point of being an artist? Oh yeah. You're trying to get people to buy it. And so once they realized that, they transferred their they changed their major from art to business. And they focused on small business and business growth and the kind of market that their art business would be in. Because maybe they wanted to start a gallery. Maybe they wanted to sell their own art. Maybe they wanted to turn it into an online business. There's so many different things. Marketing even. You could major in marketing and learn how to market your own products. Do you see how you have really got to change your mindset on this? Because that person still loves art. They're still going to learn art all the time. Like I said, there's plenty of art classes you could take outside of the school system for a fraction of the cost, but they're still going to grow as an artist and study and hone their craft. They're just going to utilize a college degree in a more strategic way and learn how to actually make money from the skill that they love. So, Hope that was helpful. That's my biggest pet peeve is when I hear people going to college, especially like undecided or poli-sci. Those are the two ones that I'm like, what are you talking about? Do not go to college if your degree is is undecided, if your major is undecided still. Just save the money because you're literally just going to have to either go for a fifth year and you're paying for dumb, dumb classes that you're going to wish that you were able to choose more specifically according to your future career once you do choose one. Next one. Random name said, Where do you live? That view is amazing. Okay, so when you guys see that view, that's my parents' house in upstate New York. They live at the base of the Adirondacks, basically. And it's very beautiful. And I'm looking at another question actually right now and someone says, How could you not want to live near your parents in that view? Um, you guys, it's in New York State. And New York State, I'm I'm sure you've heard all, all of it, but I grew up under Governor Cuomo's leadership and I was appalled to see their their belief in what the role of government was in our lives, in small businesses, in, in the lives of children and students, especially when we got into the education of kids and the shutdowns during COVID and then the required vax that we were hearing from them, the amount of taxes that they take from us, the Worst state, one of the worst states to start a family, raise a family, start a business, maintain a business, retire in basically, in all the categories, all the worst categories, New York ranks one of the highest. And when I started to figure out, like, where do I want to map out my life? I cannot imagine doing that for another generation of my family. I cannot imagine putting my kids at the whim of whatever political leader is going to be put in charge of New York State at that time because. It's impossible, nearly impossible, to get a Republican put back in office. It's impossible to have positive change in a state like that when it's gone too far. You could say that you still want to fight for it. I totally respect that. I, I totally get it. For me, I think it's too far gone, and I don't want to raise my kids in that environment. And so I, I, I'm working on it with my family. That's the hardest part is that my, my parents still live there. My dad's retiring soon. We'll figure out a plan. But it is. It's beautiful. It's just an absolute shame. And it's not safe. If it was just me complaining of having to live in a semi-liberal area, then you could be like, Morgan, don't be such a wimp, okay? Push through. But to me, I don't think it's just a little political game anymore. I think they've crossed a line. During COVID, blue state tyrants crossed the Rubicon, and now I don't feel safe raising my family in that because they talk about forced backs on kids. They talk about removing all options and making it very difficult to get your kid out of public school. They spend money in very fraudulent and sketchy ways, corrupt ways, and I cannot support it anymore. And so it's a decision that I made. Someone asked my favorite three politicians of all time. um, To be honest, mm, I don't really... I don't really keep a list of like my favorite politicians, so this is going to be right off the top of my head. Um, I'll just list what, what I like about some of them. How about that? Ron DeSantis, I just saw him speak tonight. I love him because he's bringing back a mentality around federalism and state power. That used to be the whole concept of the United States of America. And just to give a little, a little history lesson, when I do Freedom Papers for Turning Point, we talk about the Federalist Papers. The United States Constitution, our government, our federal government, was created by the states. They they agreed to enter into this. It, it wasn't that we had a federal government that was like, okay, well, we have some states as well, and we're one big government. No, the states all had to agree to join in and ratify the U.S. Constitution. And that was the whole point. They created a union that was the federal government so that everybody would be safer from foreign enemies. There would be less um, uh, domestic quarrels that you would have, like in places in, in Europe where it was tiny countries always fighting with each other. There's plenty of reasons for why it was smarter for us to join as a union, but it was the states that said, okay, we are sovereign." But we are agreeing to move out of the Articles of Confederation, which was basically just a league of separate sovereign states, and we're agreeing to give up some of our power in exchange for creating the U.S. Constitution, the federal government, for the common good of everybody. And so it was was for the greater good. The states did that. And now, for the most part, Americans have no idea what federalism even is. So I'm loving that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is bringing back a love for federalism, especially it was basically in the era of COVID. And I'm appreciative that he is so well-spoken. He doesn't read from notes. He doesn't read from a teleprompter. But he is strong and sound and steady. And you could just tell that it comes from his heart. I mean, I, I don't know how else to explain it, you guys. But a lot of politicians, you could just tell they're like giving us red meat but I truly feel like Ron DeSantis is just speaking casually from his heart because that's what's inside that he just has to speak and it it just flows out. And I love that. Um, history wise, I really love, um, uh, the Churchills. I think they're a fascinating couple. I think the story of their relationship is really interesting, a little problematic, but, um, that's a, a little more detailed. The Churchills are fascinating because as he's out, uh, on the war front, right? Especially when he was prime minister, she was back, um, on the domestic side during all the bombings of London. And she was coordinating with the women and children who were back trying to make sure that they were all safe and, and taken care of. And so seeing that feminine and masculine dynamic there was, is always quite interesting. And on top of that, he has a fantastic, um, biography, a fantastic, uh, life story. So I really enjoy reading books about them and him. And there's also a really cool book of, their love letters, because their love letters letters basically show all of the historic timeline from the time they started seeing each other, where they met at like a house party a dinner party, and then uh, to the end of their lives. And so you see the world wars, you see the rise of Hitler. In a letter I'm pretty sure he says something of like, there's this Hitler fellow who's causing some trouble and he's causing me some quite concern (laughs) or something like that. And seeing these love letters back and forth to each other they're just communicating as a regular couple but you see these important moments of history start to get brought up in their communication and she advises him, he goes to her, she even warns him sometimes of like, listen, some of your um, some of the people below you are not satisfied with your behavior and attitude these days. You need to stop it (laughs) because apparently he had, um, some, some bratty moments. And so her letters are, I I heard some things that are going on in your office and I just want to let you know that you need to calm down. (laughs) So that's a really cool book too. If you guys like history, definitely recommend it. Um, Paul Kennedy, favorite Western movie. Did I already get asked this? Outlaw Josie Wales. Um, engineer man says as someone who has a larger platform, what is the, d- oh. uh, I just read these out loud and I'm like, eh. okay. As someone who has a larger platform, what is the dating life? Like I enjoy my anonymity. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors here. Thank you for asking. Sorry. The, the more personal ones are like, ah, um, First thought is that, hey, if you think about it for me, I am a bit lucky because I am very conservative and I want certain things, right? Like I want a lot of kids. I want to get married. I want a homestead. I want to do all these things. And because I talk about it so much on podcasts and on the media and my values and my politics and everything, I mean, it's kind of clear what I'm all about, right? And so it it takes away that that frustration i guess of having to just be a regular person dating in that sense where you have to kind of like wait to bring up politics and see what their views are and see what they want like people always ask me when do you bring it up of like your your desire to get married on a date and when do you bring up how many kids you want all this stuff or like the fact that you want kids and i'm like if they don't know this then they must not know who i am i guess but like they they clearly haven't seen any of the things that i do so it's just a little easier for me, I would say, because it's all out there (laughs) at the same time. It's all out there. Um, so I've had situations of people who just thought that it's all fake and then they're like, Oh, you're actually like that. (laughs) And then they're kind of like, Oh, Oh, well, I don't actually want to do those things too. And so I've had that before. Um, and then the other thing too is the anonymity of it. I do like my privacy. And so I just don't share that stuff usually online. Um, And that's really how I can protect it. But I see people, oh, I see people that have bigger followings and they're posting their boyfriend all the time and then they break up and then they get a new one and then they break up and and they have to deal constantly with people in the comments saying, uh, where did blah, blah, blah go? And to be honest, I don't want that. I don't want to have to go through that. I don't want that. I won't post somebody probably until I'm like engaged or married is what I've decided. And then I also will not be posting my kids because I want them to have their privacy. I think the internet is really weird. If I've learned anything lately, it's that the internet is really weird. I actually have quite a few problems with some things right now. And so I'm learning that I, I, I can't be as open as I really was just because the, the following is a little bit bigger than it used to be. And so when I post like where I am and stuff, it's actually a bit um, concerning. So (laughs) I am learning as I go, but in terms of having the platform and having a dating life, that really doesn't change anything, but I think it, I am a little bit advantaged because I'm always talking about some of the harder to discuss issues. And so if a guy reaches out to me, it kind of helps me have that barrier already broken. Like they clearly know what I'm about. And then if they think that it's all a lie, then yeah, they're kind of like, Oh, we probably won't be well together. (laughs) Um, Clay says, I want to know if you think Trump will run in 2024 and win. I'm praying it happens. Uh, I think he's going to run based on you know the rumors, based on the public stuff, based on what I'm hearing behind closed doors. Looks like he's going to run. At the same time, you literally never know. So I... I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, oh, no, nope, he's actually not running. And it was just a tease the whole time to fundraise for 2022. And it was a tease to fundraise for the other candidates for 2024 and get people riled up. I could literally see that happening too. I could also see him running and losing and I could see him running and winning. The big question here is, have we solved the problems of 2020? Are we locking down state elections to be safe and secure and trustworthy? Because, Unless we do that, how will we ever know moving forward what the state of our country really is? I think a lot of people are really worried about that. We've had four years, or we will have four years between 2020 and twenty four to get our act together. And I'm a little concerned when you look at the state level, because that's where elections are handled at the state level, you guys. And if you are in a state where there's some sketchy stuff going on, I need you to be an active citizen and start reaching out Start asking your county GOP, your local GOP, your state GOP, the people that are in charge of this kind of stuff in your state, start caring more about this because it matters what's happening at the state level. And we will never really know what's going on until we lock down state security of elections. So I think that's really going to be a big determining factor, too, when we have Trump wins or Trump run, what would happen? And I, I think we need to get our act together on a few fronts before that, before we get there. Okay. Someone random said, what is your favorite Stewart's ice cream flavor? Give the people what they want. <laughs> um, so usually my to go-to Stewart's order is a mint chocolate chip scoop in a cone. And then I put rainbow sprinkles in a dish and then I put the cone in the dish and get sprinkles on it for like every bite. Okay. I don't know how you do it anyway else, but I also won't eat sprinkles anymore because I'm trying to not eat food that is fake colored. If you look at a flaming hot Cheeto, how do you look at that and go, mm, that looks appetizing. Once you realize that's not a color made by God, that's, that's not a nature orange. <laughs> it's like, I can't do it with any food now. I look at it, I'm like, how did that sprinkle get to be so hot pink? You know what I mean? I can't not do it anymore. And so I, I'm really a stickler on it and I can't do it. So I haven't had sprinkles on my, <laughs> my Stewart's ice cream, but the, the, um, iced coffee is really good though. I haven't looked at the ingredients on that. Don't make me too sad. Steven asked, Do you love country living? Yes. It's just what I want. It's what I love. It's what I want. One day I'll be able to have my little studio on my property and I'll walk out to my little studio with my podcast mic and talk to you guys and it'll be great. We're going to make it happen. Um, Tool Mantra, is that what it is? He asked, when does life start? Conception. M. Downey says, advice for finding places that make American products. Okay, Um, one, Public Square is a really cool company. Go on to Public Square and it connects you with businesses, I think in your area and in general, that are made in America good values, etc. So public square is what it's called. The other thing is just your local community. You're going to, if you connect with your local community of businesses, you're going to have an easier time just finding it. And it's easy to search on the internet as well of American made blah, blah, blahs. Um, speaking of which for my flag business, like what I really love when you guys buy American, You're buying from somebody who used their hands to build this high-quality item, and that is going to benefit them and their family and their own community. And so you're really giving back in so many ways. And I think specifically of Kenny, who makes the leather products that I sell through Zegger's Freedom Flags. So his business is Golden Age Supply, and he does a bunch of really cool items. But then for Zegger's Freedom Flags, right now we only have key Clips like little keychain kind of things for your car. And it says we the people on it, and they're handmade by Kenny, but we're doing a bunch of really cool future items that are leather that have we the people and patriotic branding on it as well. Um so with Kenny, it's like you look at something like a wallet, right? And Kenny's wallets, some people look at it and they go, Oh my gosh, that's that's a lot of money. It's like fifty to a hundred dollars for a handmade leather wallet. But then you have to realize, oh yeah. You're paying a great American man, not some Chinese slave in communist China who's being forced to make that that product. You're, You're paying a great American family man who's building that with his hands with quality leather that is going to last for years and years and years and years to create something that will symbolize so much and also serve such a purpose for such a long period of time. The cost of it up front, if you can afford it, is much, much cheaper in the long run than buying some cheap wallet every one or two years when it runs and fades and breaks on you. And it's from communist China. And so to me, every time I have an item that's like, oh, okay, this is kind of old and I need a new one and it's kind of faded and you know, needs to be replaced... Now I make a point of saying, where could I get this from someone that hand makes this in a quality way, in a way that lasts. And so, um, like from, I have a purse, I have a concealed carry purse that has a holster sewn into it. It's leather, it's handmade, it's beautiful. And it's literally going to last me for 10 years. At least I, I know it. I have item after item that I'm trying to replace with things that will just be my one thing my one version of it that I have and use for years to come. So that's my new mentality. And I I hope you guys take that on too. And then last question, you guys, someone asked, do you try and eat mostly local farm raised stuff struggling with my grocery prices and chemicals? Um, yeah. So, I mean, for me, I don't eat processed food. I try and eat whole foods only. And so, regular food, I guess. It's crazy that we don't consider it that anymore, but I just try and eat food. You know what I mean? Uh, not, not factory created food. Yeah. I think that's all part of building a community too, because for me, like when I think of homesteading, I really don't think I'm going to be able to like keep bees. You know what I mean? And sometimes I hear how people do it. One of the examples is, is this family that owns a cute farmstead in in Burton, Texas. And they have little bees on their property, but they aren't necessarily pro beekeepers, and so they're a part of a bee co-op where the co-op comes and harvests the honey and then combines that honey with other local community um bee houses and stuff. And then they all have this community honey brand where they can then have their honey that they made. And so learning about these inner networks of your community and learning about the people that create and produce certain things just helps grow that. And then it's also a network where like word of mouth, you meeting people and meeting friends, that's really the best way to do it. So I hope that was helpful. But you guys, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I hope these questions are, are good for you. I get so many of them. This is, I have five pages printed out of just uh, some of the questions that I could find. And then I only literally just got through one page. So we'll, we'll see how it goes in the future. But I hope you guys have a good week. And thanks for tuning in. Bye.